It's good to be here. Uh, I'm Dr. Kapik. I teach uh, on faculty here at Covenant. And uh, because we do have so many visitors, we want to welcome parents, but especially prospective students. We'd actually love a chance to particularly welcome you and pray for you. So if you're a prospective student, if you don't mind standing for a moment, that would be great. Thanks. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me pray for them. Our God, we do thank you for the way you work, and we thank you particularly for these students. Uh, they have come, and we know that you have purposes for them. We don't know if it's here, but we ask that you would be working in their lives, that you would give them courage and wisdom and grace, that you would take them somewhere that they might flourish under your care, developing their gifts for the good of your church and your world. We do pray that you would calm anxieties, liberate them to live freely under your care and your gospel. Give them good time while they are among us, we ask that you would bring many back here for the future. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the things I do uh, at Covenant College is I occasionally, about once a semester, I kind of periodically report on some of the things I'm uh, researching and thinking about. Um, and recently I finished a series last semester uh, that I had been doing on suffering. So today marks the beginning of a new series, and our topic is finitude. Finitude. I know it sounds like a fancy word, and today we're just going to start to get into it, but let me start by just giving you the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of finitude. You ready? OUP. Finitude is the condition or state of being finite. Like, didn't you remember being told in high school, do not define a word with the word? But I guess if it's Oxford, it's fine. So, but they say more than that. It is the condition of being subject to limitations. Finiteness, the definition of finiteness, is the condition of being limited in space, time, capacity, etc. Space, time, capacity, etc. I'm really interested in the etc. part, by the way. What I want us to do together today is to begin to understand why I think the idea of finitude is so important to us, and I think it's shaping us, or our failure to understand finitude is misshaping our lives. So let's begin with the fact that we are not in control. The reality is that creaturely finitude does not normally, it's not normally the kind of idea that we discover because you study it. In fact, it tends to be the idea that you discover as you run into it. Todd and Liz had been married for many years and were childless. So Liz's pregnancy filled them with great joy and expectation. 
Yet without warning, unnerving things began to happen, and deep concerns swirled. And before they knew it, their baby was born December 28, 2016, just three days after Christmas. And rather than being a time of great joy, it was a crisis. Because their little boy, Findlay, was just 25 weeks old. In previous centuries, or even decades ago, no one would even try. The medical practice would never, of the time, would never be able to save Finn's life. He would need 24-hour care. And even with medical advances, the prognosis didn't look good. Would he make it through the night? Through the week? Born that early, his system was incredibly vulnerable. He struggled with everything from breathing issues to seizures. From infections to potential danger to his little eyes. And each day brought Liz, Todd, and the doctors not only fresh hope, but new obstacles. Finn was a strong little guy and a fighter, but the odds didn't look good. Despite his exhaustion, Todd found strength to send out another care page update in the middle of January. Speaking of his son's condition, this is what he said. All of this brings loads of new fears and anxieties to Liz and me. But we trust God's faithfulness, His mercy and love. We have confidence in the NICU medical staff. We acknowledge fear, but we cling to hope. But then, Todd reminded us that he was writing this update on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so he quoted the American minister and civil rights advocate who memorably said, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And then Todd signed off, God is able. He didn't mention this quote, he didn't mention the idea of human limits as an excuse for the doctors to give up. But rather, it was the context for their best efforts. The reality is only God was and is infinite. And standing in the hospital beside Finley, Todd and Liz were freshly aware that from the odd asteroid in the universe to to germs, the reality is the parts of the world that can hurt us are beyond our control and beyond our prediction. So they gave their newborn son into the care of the doctors, but more importantly, into the care of our God. But even with this, how does one, how does one accept finite disappointment while maintaining infinite hope? Excellent nurses and doctors were working as hard as they could to preserve little Finn's life. But in the end, they knew 
the infinite God of grace and love cared for their child much more than the doctors and much more than even Todd and Liz. And so they took some comfort in that. Yet in this vulnerable situation, their limitations, and in this case, the brokenness of the world, came crashing together, creating this turbulent sea, which is incredibly difficult to navigate. And it's not just Todd and Liz, it's all of us. All of us constantly bounce between, on the one hand, believing that we can control things. And then, bouncing over to the other side where it becomes clear, we are not in control. I have good news for you. Finn survived. Not only did he survive, he has flourished. And as the months have passed, he was eventually got to go home. And not too long ago, he was baptized and even celebrated his birthday. But through the memories of this frightening and humbling experience, Todd, Liz, friends, all of us quickly find we run into the boundaries of our abilities to handle lives. But here's the thing. It doesn't have to take a tragedy to start to think about these things. It could be simply the reality that you're missing answers on exams. The reality is that all of us repeatedly face our limits. We discover that we really are vulnerable, even fragile creatures. We have far less control in this world than we would ever like to admit. And so in light of this, some different personalities respond differently. Some personalities, once they discover this, once they get a sense of it, there is this giving up, turning completely to passivity, just victims, there's nothing we can do. But many of us, especially in a room like this, Go to the other extreme. And when we face those limits, the way we try and deal with them is by aggressively exerting ourselves. Trying then to seize as much control as we can. And why? Because we know our actions matter, and they matter a lot. They actually do matter. A doctor who has studied hard normally is much better than one who just barely got by. And parents who, who think carefully about trying to raise their children and are thoughtful about it, trying not to repeat the mistakes that were done to them, tend to be better than negligent guardians. And yet, and yet the reality is that on the one hand, what we do matters. We can and do change things. But if we take from that that we can or at least should be able to control our circumstances, we're going to run into trouble. If I ask you, hey, do you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? Do you think you're responsible for this world going? It's the rare person who's going to say, yeah, it's pretty much, it depends on me. I got this. None of us say that. But in the darkness of the night as you lay in your bed, Many of you do feel 
the weight of the world crushing you. Crushing you. We often live under the delusion that if we just work harder, if we just squeeze tighter, if we're just more efficient, we'll eventually regain control. And I have come to believe that not understanding, in fact denying our finitude, is hurting us in profound ways. So I want to talk about the crushing weight of expectations. Here's a question for you. Some of you are going to go through interviews. You can answer this one. Are you exhausted? Are you guys tired? Do you guys, how many of you feel a constant sense of low-level guilt in your lives because of how much you are not getting done? You feel guilty about how little you accomplish each day about how little progress you make on all the tasks before you. How are you feeling about your hopes and your dreams, your plans? I've been working on this project and doing research and having conversations for a while, and one of the things I didn't expect when I started out is one of the areas that I've become very interested in is the American educational system, particularly high school and college. And I've come to believe that actually in America, in, in our high schools, now I should qualify this, I think it actually tends to be middle class and above high schools, both public and private. But here, I think we're fostering the problem. Tell me, some of you are high schoolers, but most of you, high school wasn't that long ago. So just tell me if this sounds familiar. You get up, you rush to school at 7.30 in the morning, you go to school till 3.30 in the afternoon, roughly. After that, you immediately change and rush off to an extracurricular activity. Maybe it's a sporting activity. Maybe it's theater. Maybe it's something else. As soon as that ends, 5.30 or 6, you rush home. You jump in the shower. You take a quick shower. You shove some food down. And then you start homework. And you do homework until bed. Does that sound familiar? painfully familiar, isn't it? And you know what's weird? Almost everyone in this room thinks that's normal. And in fact, many of you who've been doing that and still can't keep up feel like you are terrible sinners as a result. But it's easier to talk about high school than college, right? Any covenant students exhausted out there? I knew I'd get an amen. Amen. How many of you feel guilty about not finishing all of your assigned reading for this week? <laughs> Actually, you guys don't feel guilty. That's the problem. <laughs> you know why you don't feel guilty is because you, you, how many of you don't think it would be, would be possible for you to finish it all? Enough about you, let's talk about me. <laughs> there are always people and projects that need more attention than I could possibly give them. Each of us face constant problems as we run up into our limits. There are always meetings that I should be better prepared for, students I should spend more time with, colleagues I could learn from if I would just schedule and make more space in my life for them. 
Your circumstances are inevitably different than mine. But when I lay my head on the pillow at the end of the day, I constantly wonder, have I done enough? Is it enough? But maybe you and I are driven by the wrong impulses. We have the wrong goals in mind. But let's stay with this a little longer. It's not just about school. What about church and missional activities? Right? There are prayers that need to be offered, encouraging notes that should be written, meals that should be delivered, countless excellent organizations desperately require time and resources so someone can care for the poor, take in the orphan, be concerned about justice issues. Yet how rarely do I participate? And when I do, it just feels like a teardrop in an ocean of need. Shouldn't I do more? But then what can happen is then we're tempted to go, no, there's no way I can do anymore. I'm so exhausted. So then the way we try and solve it is by saying, you know what? When the, when the Bible and Jesus talks about such things, He's not really serious. Maybe the poor and the orphan are optional rather than essential. Maybe justice is a great idea, but we don't actually have to care about it that much. Maybe prayer is a good idea, but actually it's not genuinely needed. I will just tell you, if you go down that path, that is not healthy either. It will distort your view of God, of yourself, and of His world. So how do we respond to all these needs beyond all, all of our limits? Let's keep going. Let's talk about our bodies. This is a room full of students. I'm, I'm an academic. That means we sit a lot. Your body matters. I don't actually care about your waistline. That's in, irrelevant to me. But read the Proverbs. If we neglect our bodies, whatever shape or size it is, there's a sense in which when we neglect our bodies, it hurts relationships. There are all these implications. So you and I feel it. We're like, oh, we should work out. We should do this. Thing. Add it to the list. What about my mind? I'm an academic. I know this is crazy, but people pay me to talk, to read, and to write. And I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anyone, okay? I can't keep up. Not even close. Not even close. There are new books, there are new articles, constantly new. I can't keep up what about family we could keep going so now let's talk about this so what is the problem what is the problem and at this point i want you to ask a crucial question does this dissatisfaction does this need always point to sin does it always point to sin or is something else going on here what i mean by that is are we are we required to overcome all of these perceived shortcomings. Some people think they're just inherent moral deficiencies. Some of you are convinced the reason you don't get straight A's is because you're a lazy sinner. Well, let me be clear. For some of you, that's true. <laughs> For a lot of you, that is most definitely not true. 
it is most definitely not true. And until you realize that, it will distort your view of God and yourself. So one common response in the West is we seek self-improvement through greater organization of our lives. We skim the internet looking for articles about greater time management. We've given up on reading books about it, but we can read short articles, right? Many of you know you've gotten up earlier and stayed up later. You know you can't add another hour to 24 hours, so you will just sleep less and less and try and squeeze out more and more. We try to do more, to be more. Now here's the thing, it's normally at this time in in this kind of talk that we turn to trash TV and surfing the internet. We talk about, and I'm aware of all these statistics, how much time Americans spend watching TV, how much time students spend surfing the internet. I get all of that, but let me turn it on its head. Rather than thinking that TV and surfing the internet is the problem, I have a growing suspicion that it is the sign of a deeper malady. And the suffocating expectations on you are driving you to find ways to release. And so you binge watch Netflix. And this But if you think the problem is Netflix, if you think the problem is the internet, you're never going to get anywhere. It's not a time management problem. It is a theological and pastoral problem. It's a theological and pastoral problem. A few years ago, I was doing a uh, podcast interview with a woman who read a little book for new theologians, and I did it because she said she has a niche audience. It's young mothers dealing with their children. And she got convinced that theology really mattered and wanted them uh, to see so. We had a great interview, and at the end, she asked me what she thought was a softball question. She said, um, she said listen, what, what's a final thing, what's a the- theological topic you think us moms should think about? And I knew, I could tell she was expecting me to take it and run with it and do like sovereignty of God or some other high-octane theological topic. And I just said to her, human finitude. Human finitude. She was surprised and started talking about it. Here's the thing. I need us to discover that finitude is a gift, not a deficiency. Finitude is a gift, not a deficiency. I didn't say evil's a gift. That's another thing that we lament. We have to distinguish that. But our limits are a gift. They are not a sin. Finitude, if you get nothing else from today, finitude is not sin. As I talked to this woman and she, her audience, I said, listen, you, you do understand, right? Children are not supposed to be good at everything. Some of you are here today, you've done oboe lessons, you've done piano, you've played 16 sports, you've tried to master it. And you were often told that you were great at them all. And one of the terrible things that's happening to you right now is you're realizing you're not. And so you just think you're a bad person, you're a failure. And if if you're told that you should be good at everything, 
then it must be the teacher's faults, the judge's faults, your peers' faults. They don't see it. Friends, there are always stronger, more beautiful, more brilliant people than you and I. Praise God. Let me conclude by talking about how we become friends with finitude. What does it mean? What does it mean that you and I have these talents and these resources, but not all talents, not all resources? What does it mean that you and I are finite, particular, and rooted, not floating, universal, infinite, standing above all local circumstances? We need to answer these questions honestly because if we don't, we have such unrealistic expectations and it makes us unable to value things like slow-growing relationships. Some of you want deep friendships now. It doesn't work that way. And some who have felt this go to the opposite extreme. All of a sudden, yeah, the the needs at church are so great, so I won't do anything. As if the only options are do everything or do nothing. But when we discover our limits, our dependence, our reliance on the grace of God and how it works into worship, you and I can discover the joy of being a creature a human creature. And until you discover that, you will get messed up views of Christian spirituality. So let me leave you with two guiding... These are two ideas that are guiding what I've said and will be guiding me into the future. The first is this. Our call is not to be infinite. Only God can be infinite. So here's the observation. Number one, it's in and through creaturely limits. In and through creaturely limits that we are called to love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But don't forget it. It's always through our finitude, not in spite of it. And number two, and this will be where we go in the future, but number two, we need to stop asking, or we don't tend to say these words, but we feel like we should ask. We should stop asking for God's forgiveness that we can't do everything. Do you know that? You don't need to ask God's forgiveness that you can't do everything. Do you know what you and I need to do? We need to ask God's forgiveness that we ever imagined we could. We need to ask God's forgiveness that we ever imagined we could. Human limits are a created good aspect of our creaturely existence. We need each other. We need the earth. We need traditions. We need history. We worship Him as He made us. Meaningful, dignity-filled, vulnerable, finite creatures. God is not apologizing that He made us finite creatures and you and I need to stop as well. Let's pray. Our God, You are infinite. You know all things. You are not just knowledgeable, but You have infinite love and wisdom Be merciful to us. Forgive us for when we have spoken of our limits and of our our finitude as if it were evil. For in it, it shows we assume we're supposed to be you. 
Help us to praise You and not ourselves. For You alone are praiseworthy. Be with these students. They're tired. Soak them in Your love and grace. Give them wisdom and discernment. Help them to know what it is to work hard and what it is to rest. We pray all this in the name above all names. Amen.